Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. <clears throat> and Peter got out of the boat and started to sink started to, to go under now there's a lesson here for us I'm sure and I believe the Holy Spirit chose this incident in order to uh, demonstrate to us something about our faith and something about the world that we live in now, Peter was our example of faith beginning to fail within us. Um, we don't walk on water. Nobody's ever walked on water before Peter and Jesus or afterwards. The reason we don't walk on water is because there's no support under us when we step out and try to stand on top of something that doesn't have any substance to it, or at least not enough substance to hold us up. We can walk on water when we walk on ice. When the, when the lake is frozen over and has enough depth to it that we can walk on that water, but we have to be careful because even walking on water that is capped with ice, we can get on thin ice, and as a result, we can go under. Now, when we're walking, along on this earth, we, we generally have the impression that uh, there's something stable under us. We, so we know that walking on water is unstable. Walking on solid ground, for us, is stable. We're walking, we're standing on top of a floor that's on, uh, uh, suspended above the earth beneath us, but still, we, we need to make sure that we don't get to the point that we feel like we're actually standing on something that's stable because we're not, really. If you are familiar with the tundra in the north, the tundra is a, is a thin shelf of vegetation, earth as it were, but mainly vegetation, on top of the water. And so as you're walking on that thin layer of vegetation, you're moving up and down, and so you realize at that point that you're not stable. So that's called the trembling earth. Also, 
We live in this area, in Washington State, and California, and Hawaii, and places like that. We live in what is called the Ring of Fire. It's a volcanic ring. And sometimes our substantial, what we think would be a substantial Earth, trembles in an earthquake. So that should remind us, some of these things should remind us of the fact that we're not really standing on anything that's really stable, that's really permanent. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that this earth is not permanent. It's not going to be here forever. It's not really solid ground that holds us down. Matter of fact, we are standing on a, a sphere that's hung out in space, resting on nothing. This earth is. Job said that God had hung the earth on nothing. Job 26 verse 7. So we're suspended. We're suspended in the atmosphere, in the air. And yet, uh, we're told that uh, it's, it's not going to remain here forever. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 through 12 says, Now, Lord, in the beginning you have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are works of your hands. They shall perish, but you will remain. They will wax old as does a garment, and as a vesture you will fold them up, they shall be changed, but you're the same, and your years shall not fail. Now, it's not just the earth that's not stable. It's, it's that which is happening on this earth. And so the lesson we're getting, basically, from Peter wasn't the fact that you can sink if you try to walk on water. You can. And it's not the fact that you can stand on trembling earth and all of a sudden you could pierce through, even on, on quicksand. But the lesson is basically that, that in this world, what we think is supporting us, that's underneath our feet, as it were, is unstable. The world is not stable. The world is not stable morally. The world is not stable ethically. The world is not stable philosophically. And yet we seem to want to base our, our life upon that. The, the earth is unsteady. That which is happening on this earth is, is just as unsteady. It's rapidly becoming the world, as it were, a septic tank. That if we're not careful, we will sink into it and, and be drowned. The world, as such, is, is a dumping ground. It's a place where we're dumping our garbage morally and physically and ethically. And gravity is why we can't stay on top of the water or on top of air or on top of something unstable. Gravity is what's pulling us down, and it's the pull of the world that's trying to sink us morally and ethically and spiritually. So the reason why, if you jump off a tall building and go down quickly, is because the earth has sort of a magnetic pull to you that's called gravity. It's because the earth is spinning. And the closer you get to the core, obviously, the stronger the pull is. But the reason you're going down is because gravity is pulling you down. And the reason why you can't stand on water is because gravity is pulling you down. Now that, that the point is, something is pulling us down, and the lesson we have here is that the world is reaching up, something is reaching up, and trying to get a hold of you, and putting pressure on you, and trying to sink you below the surface. 
And I think that's the lesson that, that we have here with Peter. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. This world has a strong pull on us trying to get us involved in things that will drown our soul in things that are unsavory, trying to pull us under. Moses knew that he could be pulled under. He knew that when he was in, the, in Egypt. He knew that he was in trouble when he, when he left Egypt. Matter of fact, he left because he knew that he was being attracted to things that shouldn't be, and he was going to be sucked down. So, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, it says, He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Okay, he knew that the appeal of this world, even though it's fabricated, was built upon a collapsing pyramid of lies. The deception is that we can have a lasting sense of serenity and pleasure in our environment. That we can enjoy this world and that we don't, we don't necessarily have to do anything to keep on top of it, but we can enjoy this world and we really won't be sucked down into the world itself, but we will be if we're not, if we're not careful. Gratifying the desires of our flesh without restraints, just doing what you want to do without any restriction is called hedonism. That is, whatever you want to do, if it gives you pleasure, do it. No restraints, no restrictions. This is the appeal of the world. But it's the untimely, unsatisfying aspect of the world that will eventually collapse in on itself and collapse in on us. Even though we believe we're going to live in pleasure forever, it doesn't last forever. As a matter of fact, the world has a motto. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing, everything that goes up must come down. We all have that concept. We all seem to know that. The appeal of the world is so strong that we're changing, rapidly changing our concept of right and wrong on the basic, uh, basic principles of our lives. We are living in a in a decaying system. And that system is threatening to take you under, to pull you down, to sink you. That system says that whatever we want to do, as long as it satisfies us, we can do it. And it's not wrong. We can justify it in some way. And the, the, the idea right now, the, the great appeal right now, is, is on the sexual level. This whole world is, is concerned and consumed right now with, with sex. And they've, they've actually invented a new word to accommodate what, we, what we're looking at in the, in the activities in the sexual world. Pornography, uh, polygamy, sexual activity outside the marriage contract, fornication, homosexuality, all of it. And now, we have now a, a new word. You know what the word is? It's called polyamora. Did you know that? That means you can have any kind of sex you want. 
and all kinds of sex that you want. Just do it. Multiple sexual partners is what it's talking about. Multiple sexual partners. You don't have to be married. You, you, can, you, don't, you don't have to be concerned about who you're having sex with. Just have it with whoever you want to. And that's the appeal that the, that the world has. And the, the problem we're having is trying to stay on top of that and stay out of it and, and, and not actually agree to the fact that this is wrong. That God says this and the world says this and we begin to compromise and say, well, maybe it's not that bad. My friend, it is that bad. Sin is always that bad. The attraction of sin is like the constant pull of gravity. It wants to drag you down. It's ever-present in its allurements. Now, here's what Paul told Timothy about it. He said, men drowned in foolish and hurtful lust. They drowned in them. He's talking about being sucked down and drowned in foolish and hurtful lust. 1 John chapter 1 at verse 9 through 11 says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Now he's going to talk about another appeal. And the other, the other appeal is, have everything you want, get as rich, just get everything you, you desire, and, and flourish it. Regardless of its effect on you as a person. Just, just get it. And all you're getting, get it. He said, the rich is, is made low because he is as the flower of the field. He'll pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass and the flower thereof falls and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade in his ways. It will not last. Even the wealth that you build up, everything that you accumulate, he said, get all, all that you can, everything you can accumulate, he said, the rich will fade away. It's not lasting. It's not, it doesn't have substance to it. And we need heaven's power to resist the attraction that's constantly pulling us downward, wanting us to accommodate, wanting us to accept, wanting us to agree, wanting us not to raise a voice of objection to what we see and what we feel are all around us. Like Peter, we are, when we're overwhelmed by temptation and the storms of this life threaten us to sweep us away, we dare not look away from Jesus or we will sink. We will sink. Now that comes about because we're weak to start with as human beings. And unless we have some, something to fortify us inwardly, we're going to fall prey to the allurement of this world to riches, to greed, to sex, to whatever it may be that the world is offering, we'll fall prey to it. And it will happen, it will happen easily. And it will sneak up on you, basically. The devil is sneaky and, the, and his wiles are sneaky. And he's called a, a deceiver, which means that you won't see him coming when he comes. He, he'll come in another form. He'll get to you in some way. So the only way that we're going to be able to resist that is to stand with the Lord. You know, as I'm reading God's Word, I'm so impressed with the, with, the, with the way that it has been written. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the four letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are so impressive to me because the writers of those four biographies of Jesus do not present themselves 
as individuals who are any more ordinary than you or me. They're, they're the same sort of people. And, and so that, that sort of lifts us up beyond what people are normally capable of doing. Other people that write biographies or autobiographies usually leave a good, pretty good impression of themselves in that book, don't they? But look at this. In the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these three accounts give us the account of what happened on, on, the, on the lake and in Peter's sinking. These men that wrote these books, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit dictating to them what they could and shouldn't write, they would have certainly made themselves out to be something beyond what they were. Look at Peter. Peter had some say in what was being written here, probably. In, order, in all likelihood, Peter may have been the fellow that helped Mark bring information that he did when he wrote the book of Mark. But here Peter is, part of this characterization, and if he's part of writing it, don't you think that Peter would have maybe left out some of this stuff about him being so weak? Here he was. Why, why couldn't Peter have said, well, I just stomped right over there to Jesus and we walked back to the boat together? But he didn't. And as a matter of fact, it is shown in, in, in the several texts that Peter was having a hard time just getting act together all the time he was with Jesus. When Jesus said, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer, Peter jumped up and said, no, you're not. And when Peter, Peter was in the courtyard, when all the villains were there and people were trying to crucify Jesus, Peter just joined right in with them. Don't you think that those men writing the book, if they were ordinary men writing an ordinary biography like we would, that Peter, who seemed to be in most people's minds today, the guy that's way up here above everybody else, that his friends would not have shown his weaknesses like they did. But they did. They showed that this man, of all men, just he, he seemed to stumble every time he turned around. Even Paul told something about Peter, that Peter got involved in bigotry against the Gentiles. That, that when James the Brethren came down to, the, to Galatia and to the Antioch, where Paul was, that Peter decided he just he would just join into the crowd and wouldn't have anything to do with the Gentiles, which was wrong. And yet Paul wrote that about Peter. Now, ordinarily, anybody writing a book, a biography, would not include that about one of the chief characters and individuals involved in the story. But the Bible is different because it's God's Word and God is telling us what we need to know about His Son and about ourselves. Now we need heaven's power to resist the attraction that is constantly pulling us downward. I can't, I can't stay on top. I can't stay on top of the water without Jesus. I will be pulled down in my most intimate moments when I'm thinking about things of this world. If I'm not careful if I'm not concentrating on staying away and staying with the Lord, I will sink. And so will you. When I begin to think, sometimes even when I hear what people are saying on the radio or on TV or around me in groups and they're criticizing the Lord, making fun of Jesus, making fun of other Christians, 
when I begin to think about my brothers and sisters in Christ, I begin to get disappointed. And I begin to get sad. And I begin to think, well, I begin to get some doubts in my mind about whether or not I'm really doing the right thing. You know what's happening? I'm sinking. I'm going under. The world is trying to pull me down. Why can't I do what everybody else does? Why do I have to be different? Well, First John 1 at verse 8 says that we, we are sinners. It, it is our faith in Jesus that keeps us from drowning. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, God so loved the world. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. Whosoever believes, you won't go under if you believe. You will not sink with this world into sin if you believe. But you have to keep your faith up. If we say we have not sinned, we're a liar. The truth is not in us. First John 1 8. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the key to survival is faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in heaven's resisting force. We believe that Jesus can rescue us from our past and he can empower us to overcome the strongest pull of the world. So when we feel ourselves going down, when we begin to entertain some doubts about God and about what we're doing and about our faith and about whether or not we're on the right moral track and whether or not those who are tempting us to say, oh, it's okay to do this or why should we be so straight-laced about that, when we begin to feel that pull of the world, then we need to reach our hand out and get a hold of someone who can keep us on top of the water. Galatians 3 verse 14 tells us that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And that's what we need. We need the Spirit of God. We come to life because of Jesus. And we stay alive because of Jesus. And we stay on top because of Jesus. And because of our faith. So let's just, let's just deal with it right now. I want to read some texts that talk about what faith does for us. Faith means that we believe in God. Faith means that we believe in Jesus. Faith means that we believe that what this book tells us, this is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word, as a matter of fact. This book tells us is the truth. It is the truth. Now the world says it's not. The world makes fun. The world tries to, tries to criticize. The world tries to compromise. The world tries to do a number of things. But the Bible tells you and tells me what is truth? And I have to have faith that this is right. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, right? So I, I get faith that way. Now listen to these texts. Hebrew, Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, The just shall live by faith. So when we're talking about what will keep us on top, we're talking about staying alive. You've heard the song, haven't you? Staying alive. Well, we stay alive because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You don't sink when you have faith in Christ. When we have faith in Christ, we walk with the angels. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. That's who you're walking with. You're walking with angels. You're walking with all the saved. We get on top of the world when we overcome the world by our faith. 1 John chapter 5 at verse 5 tells us that very story. 
we're rescued from death. We don't die because we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We stand above the crowd. We stand apart from the crowd. Why? Because we stand by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. Romans 11, verse 20. You stand above and away from the crowd by faith. We are exonerated from our crimes by faith. We're justified. We don't have to worry about penalties, about being punished. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we take the right side. You know, sometimes when people divide up to play a game or divide up because they don't agree with each other, we want to stand on God's side. And that's how you do it. You stand on God's side with faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we meet the enemy. The enemy of all righteousness. We meet the enemy head on by our faith. Ephesians 6 verse 10 through 12 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now we know you know, and I know, that I'm in trouble when I begin to doubt the Word of God. I'm in trouble. When I begin to think, well, maybe, maybe that's not right. Maybe, maybe that doesn't apply to me. I know when I start doubting things like that, when I start doubting what God has said I should and shouldn't do, then I know that I'm in trouble that my faith is slipping, and I'm slipping underneath. And I know that my faith is slipping when I begin to criticize my fellow man, my brother and sister in Christ, begin to look, look at them with doubt and wonder about them instead of myself. Instead of keeping my eyes on Jesus, I'm looking at the storms that are around me and not thinking about Him. So what can we do when I begin to feel weak when I begin to get depressed, when I begin to think, well, maybe I'm not on the right course. Maybe there's something else I could do. Maybe I, maybe I don't have to do everything that I, I think I'm... What, when, when my language begins to get darker and darker and darker, when I start losing my temper easier and easier and easier, when I think about going back to some of the old habits I had and when I think about the old days and how much better they were for me before I became a Christian, when I begin to think about these things, and I look around me and think, well, everybody else is doing why can't I do these things? Why am I in this situation? When I begin to doubt, when I begin to get depressed about my relationship with God, I'm slipping back away, and, and I, I, should, I, should get, uh, uh, I should be alerted. Like Peter. You know, Peter got out and stood on the water. I'm telling you, that had to be a great surge of faith in him, didn't it? I wouldn't do that. Would you? Would you just get out of a boat and think you can walk on the water? Peter did. But the storm came up. 
And he took his eyes off of Jesus. And just as soon as he did, he started to sink. He was slipping beneath the glassy surface of the water. And we can slip beneath the slick, glassy surface of this world and get caught up in it again if we take our eyes off of Jesus. There are simple remedies for weakened faith. You know, you can get your faith restored. Did you know that? When your faith starts getting weak and you begin to feel it, there are remedies, simple remedies, of course. The first one is we need to look for Jesus. We need to look for him. Well, where do we look for him? At a party? Shall we go to a block party and see if we can find him? Shall we go to a rave? Maybe, I don't know whether they still call that. Shall we go to something that's going on with all the activities and the, the, the nightlife? Is this where we should go to them? Should we go to a bar to find Jesus? Should we go to where people are doing things that are making them happy temporarily? Is that where we go to find Jesus? You know better. I do too. I know where to go to find Jesus. He's in the Word. I can go to Him and I can open the Word. Jesus Christ is the Word. So I, I can reach out to Him. And by the way, the Bible says that we need to reach out to Him. I can reach out to Him and I can go to the Word and He can, he can reach me. Open the book. There's power in that book. There's power in the Word. The next logical place to look for help is in prayer. Talk to Him about it. If you feel weak, if you feel like you're sinking, Peter said, help me, Lord. Well, that's what we need to say, isn't it? Help me, Lord. We're told in Philippians 4, verse 6, be careful for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Just tell Him, Lord, here's how I'm feeling. Help me. I need help. And another important thing we can do is seek those people who know him. Be around other people who can give you strength. Be with them like you are here today. You, you can't get strong by staying away from strong people. You get weak by going around weak people. That's what happens. Our environment. No, you're not. Paul told Peter, he said, evil communications corrupt good manners. What he's saying is evil company will make you evil just like they are. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as manner some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as the day is approaching. Romans 15, verse 1 and 2 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. Help each other. Go around. Find somebody that's strong in the faith. Be with... Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is, go to church. Simple, huh? You're looking for the Lord? Go where everybody else is looking for Him. You're looking for a wild time, that's, you go to the bar. You go to the parties. Looking for a wild time, look, looking for a way to get high, you know where to go. But looking for a way to, to God, you come to be around people that are doing the same thing you're doing. Looking for the Lord. And even singing. You ever think about that? You start to get weak, sing. Jesus, if y'all you can sing as Jesus loved me, sing it. <laughs> Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi. They'd, they'd been beaten. There they were in prison. And what did they do? 
They sang. They sang. They sang praises to God because it lifted their spirits. They were not going to sink and, and criticize and bemoan themselves and moan and whimper and whine and complain and, and be concerned about why isn't everybody else in prison with us. What they, what they did was they lifted up their voices and sang psalms to God. Singing, making melody in their heart to the Lord. And, obviously, when you're around others, they can help lift you up if you've, if you've fallen. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, we who are to spiritual resort such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The real way to get back on top, that's what I'm talking about right now. Get back on top. Get, don't sink. Don't go any further down. Step up. Get on top. Stand on top. Do not let your feet so much as your toes go underneath the water. Get on top of this world. And you do that by sticking your hand out and taking the hand of Jesus and letting Him keep you on top. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Seeing you're also compassed about, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He just reminded you of all those men and women of faith that have lived over the generations. Mm -hmm. He said, think about those who have done the same thing you're doing. They were on top. They were with God. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. You know what that sin is? Loss of faith. You lose your faith by forgetting about Jesus, by not reading the Bible, by being around people that don't know Him, don't want to know Him, by surrounding yourself with the luxuries and the pleasures of this world. That's how you begin to lose your faith. And that's how you start to sink. Who is He that overcomes the world? First John 5, 5. Who overcomes the world? Who stands on top? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one. Now, Jesus is not going to reach under the water and pull you up. He's not going to do that. He's not going to come chase you down and pull you out of the bad crowd. He's not going to separate you from, from a mate that you've got that you're not married to. He's not going to catch you and catch you in some salacious act and and make you stop it and come back to Him. He's not going to do that. What He will do, however, is when you stick your hand out, He'll take a hold. And He will empower you to get out and to get right and to stay right. He will keep you on top. And He's the only one that will keep you on top. Because the world is going to pull you under but you can overcome through Jesus Christ. Let's sing our song of invitation, shall we?